Welcome to New Life Bible Church, and thank you for joining us. Every week, listen to practical teaching of God's Word you can apply to your life as you live out your faith every day. Our vision at New Life is that you may know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Here's this week's message from New Life Bible Church. Today, I will be taught the Word of God. I boldly confess my mind is alert, my heart is receptive, I will never be the same. I'm about to receive the incorruptible, indestructible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. I will never be the same. Never, 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 I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. We thank you, Lord, for your Word. We thank you, Lord, your Word is the water. That softens the clay so the potter can do his work. I pray, Lord, that your word, your seed falls on good ground today, Lord. That our hearts are pliable and can receive what you have for us, Father. And as it happened when Peter preached your word, that the Holy Spirit would fall upon those that hear it this morning. I pray that you use me to speak your words and not my own and that I would be transparent in the midst of being a tool in your hands, Lord. We thank you for your word. Help us to be doers of it and not just hearers. In the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen, amen. <clears throat> so I want to start with a little story. Uh, some of you may have heard this story. I've used it in the past. Uh, but I want, to, I want to read this story to you. It's called The Parable of the Fishless Fisherman Fellowship. So they are, uh, they are surrounded by streams and lakes full of hungry fish. They met regularly to discuss the call to fish, the abundance of fish and the thrill of catching fish. They got excited about fishing. Someone suggested that they needed a philosophy of fishing. So they carefully defined and redefined fishing and the purpose of fishing. They developed fishing strategies and tactics then they realized that they had been going at it backwards. They had approached fishing from the point of view of the fishermen and not from the point of view of the fish. How do fish view the world? How does the fisherman appear to the fish? And what do fish eat and when? These are all good things to know. So they began research studies and attended conferences on fishing. Some traveled to faraway places to study different kinds of fish with different habits. Some got doctorates in fishology, but no one had yet gone fishing. So a committee was formed to send out fishermen, a prospective fishing and prospect fishing places outnumbered fishermen, and committee needed to determine priorities. So a priority list of fishing places was posted on a bulletin board in all of the fellowship halls. But still, no one was fishing. A survey was launched to find out why. Most did not answer the survey, but from those who did, it was discovered that some felt called to study fish and a few to furnish fishing equipment and several to go out and encourage around encouraging the fishermen. <clears throat> What with meetings and conferences and seminars, they just simply did not have time to fish. Now Jake, sounds like a fisherman, was a newcomer to the Fisherman's Fellowship. After one stirring meeting of the fellowship, he went fishing and caught a large fish. 
At the next meeting, he told his story and was honored for his catch. He was told that he had a special gift of fishing. He was then scheduled to speak at all the fellowship chapters and tell how he did it. With all the speaking invitations and his election to the board of directors of the Fisherman's Fellowship, Jake no longer had time to go fishing. But soon he began to feel restless and empty. He longed to feel the tug of the line once again. So he cut the speaking. He resigned from the board. He said to a friend, let's go fishing. They did, just the two of them, and they caught fish. The members of the Fisherman's Fellowship were many. The fish were plentiful, but the fishers are few. <laughs> wow, Lord, help us. So last week I started, uh, uh, it's not really a series, but it's three parts of kind of the same thing. And um, I explained that uh, we love these messages where it increases our faith, where we talk about healing, where we talk about how great our God is. And it, the, you know, the hairs on the back of our neck stand up and, and we shout and we, and we love those kind of services where they're encouraging we find out how great we are, the authority we have in Christ, and how great God is, and how the power of resurrection lives inside of us, and woo, we can shout and joy. But as a pastor and a shepherd, we have to balance the meals of the sheep. And if that's all we did, then we would just have conferences on how to fish and never actually go fishing. So what we're, what we're doing over last week, this week, and next week is we're going to minister a word that's going to encourage you to go fishing. It's going to encourage you to do something with what you've heard and not just uh, fill a pew or warm a chair. So what we believe around here is that if you're saved, you serve. And that serve part can be done in many different ways. But let's, let's uh, get into our message where we call it signs of life. And you know, the body of Christ is the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20, it explains that in detail. It says, for as the body is one... And has many members, but all the members that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, ha and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, that'd be weird, where, where, where would be he the hearing? If the whole body, if the whole were hearing, there would be, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. You know, what stands out to me here when I read these, this particular script, part, portion of Scripture is that God places the, peop, the people in the body as he pleases. I always say that we're not the church. We're just part of the church. So we see you know, in our mentality, uh, uh, as members of a church, we see each other as a portion of the body, and this is the body, right? 
uh, as you grow and you learn and you, and you move around and you see, we're actually just part of a larger body. Because we may be the hand and then the church down the street may be the foot and then the other church may be the eye, right? But we're all the body of Christ, the church as a whole across the entire world. We are the body of Christ, not just us here. But it says that he places the people in the body as he pleases. And sometimes people visit and then they stick around and then, you know, we're looking for a church. And, you know, and sometimes what I do is I encourage them. I say, pray about where God wants you instead of where you want to be. Because sometimes where you want to be is not where God wants you. You think the clay wants to be, right? With clay in the potter's hands, what does he have to beat down that clay and add water to make it softer? Because the clay is usually hard, and to be able to mold it into something valuable, a vase. And um, I remember it was, I think we were just at, at Rock Church for a short time, and they invited a guy that did that. He had a a, a wheel and he you know hit it with his foot and the thing would spin and he had clay and he was ministering that scripture and talking about it and he's making he makes this beautiful vase it's just tall and everything i'm gonna look at how he's doing that it's perfect you know you, sometimes you see people do that and the vase goes like this and it falls apart right but he's like just perfectly just with his tools and just putting lines into it and there and you're like wow man he does that for like 30 minutes or so and then he pulls out this blade and he goes and he sticks it in the side and the whole top end comes off and he goes that I was making a vase, I'm only making a bowl. <laughs> right? He only used the bottom part. We don't know what God is doing with our lives. We just have to surrender into his hands to let him mold us. And sometimes that means allowing him to place us in the body where he wills. And you know, that's why around here, when people are part of this local body for a long time and then they go to leave, we don't let them just leave. We always offer to send them because we're not the church. They don't belong to me or to us. They belong to God. You belong to him, not to me. That was the most freeing revelation I ever had as a pastor when I realized they are not mine. And sometimes we sit around in round tables and you hear the pastor say, oh, my people, my people. And then, I, and then when they get around to me, I say, no, his people in my church. Because <laughs> I'm not, not that the church belongs to me, because you could say my church too, because this is our church, right? The new wine is in the cluster, not in the big grape anymore. But we are placed into the body as he wills. Ask him where he wants you, right? So to be sure that something is alive, it must have what we call signs of life. So a body is alive. The church of Christ is alive and breathing. It's not a dead thing. Now, some of you may say, I've been in places where it was very dead, <laughs> as, I've, as have I, right? Somebody asked me a question the other day about the Methodist church, and they were asking, uh, uh, about you know what, what they believed or if they were a good church. And I was like, it all depends. Because I, I worked for the Methodist uh, with Halifax Urban Ministries with the homeless. And the pastor that oversaw that entire ministry, which I'm still friends with today, is a man of God, loves the Lord, baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hey, Spencer worked with me there. And I'm still friends with Pastor Troy. And he pastors a Methodist church in, in Jacksonville. And, uh, and then I, I was friends with another uh, Methodist pastor in Port Orange, and he was baptized in the Holy Ghost, spoke in tongues. They would anoint people with oil in their services and everything, yet they were Methodist. And then you go to other ones where they're preaching something, and you're going, oh, my God, where did they come up with that? So it all depends, you know, which one you're talking to. But they, too, are part of the church. They, too, uh, are part of the body. And some of them you go to, and you're sitting, and you're like, wow, you know, is this really... 
You spend an hour there, you punch in, you punch out, and you leave. That's not why we gather. I'm going to take a side road here. We come to church. We have a, a wrong mentality about what church is. We come to church, and we come here because we want to receive something from God. Okay. We want to hear a word that encourages us. Okay. We want to sense his presence. We want people to pray for us. Okay, I get all that. But this is not where you come once a week to experience God. You experience God the other six days, and you celebrate what happened over those six days on this day. So you experience God every day of your life, and then we gather to, to get excited about what God has done the other six days. Not to meet God here. We should have been with God for all the rest of the week. We should have been spending time with him and praying with him and praying with others and, and reading our word and doing And then we gather to celebrate what God has been doing in our lives. But in the United States, we have it the other way around. This is where we punch our ticket so we can say, I'm part of this church and I'm part of what God is doing. And then the other six days, you never even say hello or good morning, Holy Spirit, right? So the, there are five signs of life for the church, for the church body. I'm going to uh, give these to you. Number one is dusty shoes, living a, a relevant life. Number two is worn out knees, people of prayer. Number three is rolled up sleeves. I've always got my sleeves rolled up, people who serve. Number four, open hands, people of generosity. And number five is outstretched arms. And we're going to cover each one of these in detail. So a church, as a church, we need to look for all of these signs in our church. So as we go through these Think about new life in the church that you're part of and see if this is working and operating in us. Number one, dusty shoes. A picture of someone who is involved in life and doing the work of the ministry. The, this is another misconception that we have is that the fivefold ministry, when you have a title, whether it be pastor, apostle, teacher, right, evangelist, whatever, whatever uh, fivefold ministry calling, uh, when they have a title, we seem to think that it is our responsibility to do the work of the ministry. But God doesn't teach that. He teaches that you guys, the laborers, all of us together do the work of the ministry. Whether you whether you preach or don't preach, whether you have a title in your name. Many of you know, and, and some of you are here for the first time today, when I introduce myself, I introduce myself as Rick. Always. Right? I met Rick, and Rick knows me, and when, you know, I'll never forget Rick's name because that, it's my name. <laughs> so I met him this morning, and I said, hi, my name is Rick. I don't say, now if you see the ministry and the anointing of a pastoral anointing upon me, and you want to call me Pastor Rick, I accept that. I honor that, and I, and I agree with you in that. But I am part of a bigger plan here. If this became about me, we'd be lost. We'd be hooting and hollering for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, and then we'd go home and, and nothing. We'd be doing nothing to grow the kingdom of God and to build the kingdom of God. It's not about me. We're all part of the, the work of the ministry. Acts 10.38, New International Version says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he, help me out, went, everybody say went, went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. This is what we want. See, God is with you when you do his work. God doesn't join you in your work. God is with you when you're doing his work. God doesn't join you when you're doing your work. 
This is what I'm going to do. This is what I think is going to... No, Lord. What part of the body am I? What am I supposed to be doing? And then we think, well, what if I'm just a toe? Do you know if you lost your, toe, your fat toe, you would have to go to therapy to learn how to walk again? Because you lose your balance and you... Right? That's an important part of your body. Something we don't think of. They say now that the biggest organ of your body is your skin. Imagine no skin. You'd be vulnerable. I mean, I go into detail. That was kind of gross. <laughs> Jesus had dusty shoes. He was out doing the work of the ministry. He was involved in his culture. He was counterculture, but he was involved in his culture. He was on the earth, yet he was God. And yes, are we separated for every good work? Yes, we are separated from the world. We're in it, but we're not of it. I get all that. But we've taken that to such an extreme that we've taken ourselves and moved ourselves away from the, those sinners over there. So we were too. And then we learn and we grow. Uh, I have this thing I do with a line. I, it, I don't have it here today, but usually I'll have a, a line in, in and I say, I was over here on the side of the world and I was doing drugs and doing all these things and running the streets as a teenager going crazy, right? 35, 36 years ago. And then all of a sudden Jesus comes into my life and I step over that line. I'm no longer that person. That person is dead. I buried him. June 21st, 1987. He's gone. He no longer exists. I can no longer behave that way because that's not me anymore. Now I'm here. But you know that, uh, and we're going to talk about this next week, do you know that my first works, you know, some of you know where that's at, right? My first works was to love those that I was running in the streets with. And I began to go back to these places and, and, and reaching for them and, and trying to get them. I know, you know, and, they, and I was just, I became the Jesus freak. What happened to you? None of them wanted anything to do with me anymore. They would run when they saw me. Right? And I still look like them. I had hair down to here, and you know, I had I had this little thin beard going on. I was really, really skinny from, from doing all the things I was doing, and uh, I did not look good. And uh, my mom will tell you, I did not look good at the time. But then I go back, and I'm there trying to get these people saved because I, my heart. But, but then I got into the church, and I started learning. And I started growing, and I started uh, realizing how, you know, I started giving up my old habits, and, and I, I spoke differently. I didn't use certain words anymore, and, and uh, you know, I didn't do certain things anymore. And then, then I went to Bible school, and, you know, then I learned, and I, right, and before you knew it, I was so self-righteous over here that I couldn't reach the lost anymore because I couldn't even reach over the line. It happened to me. You're a pastor. It happened to me. But then you, as you grow and learn and you say, God, show me, then you start to realize, yeah, I grew, I learned, I'm not part of, my, I'm different, I'm a different person, but I'm here to reach the lost. Listen, if God didn't, if that wasn't his intention, we would get saved and boom, we'd be there. But he left us here with a purpose, not just to live out your life. We get to enjoy some things in life. I'm enjoying grandparenting. It's the greatest thing in the world. I would have traded in my children years ago if I would have known. I would have said, if I can bring my children and get grandchildren, I'll do that. You know, it's just a joke. I love my children. You know, they're awesome. And one day I'll be great-grandparent, like my mom, right? <laughs> we have that longevity in our family because at one, at one point we had a great-great-grandmother 
Uh, we had five generations. We got a picture of us all together, five generations uh, 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 you know, of grandparents all together. It's awesome. I want to be part of that. But that's not why we're here. Even though that's part of the blessing, the Abrahamic blessing of, of having multi-generations. And, and what, are the, what are we supposed to do with those generations? Just enjoy them? Well, the grandkids, we just spoil them and, and then send them home. Yeah, we, we feed them sugar when we're not supposed to. And we, now I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag. My, my son-in-law is looking at me from back there. They give us all these rules when they drop them off, and then we obey none of them. <laughs> so we just nod our head, oh, yeah, okay, uh-huh. And then, you know, that's why kids love their grandparents, because they, you know, they spoil them. I don't have to. They're not, I send them back home, and then they got to deal with it. So, but we get to enjoy them. And, but I get to impart not only into my children, now I get to impart into my grandchildren the purpose for their life. We give them purpose into how many generations. If I'm here up to four generations, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be planting purpose into the lives of those kids that when they grow up, they can say, my grandpa taught me this. Hopefully they'll say, my parents taught me this, but my grandpa taught me this, and that's why I follow the Lord here today. Because I saw God working in him. And we passed that on. But that's not why we're here still. We're here because there's many, many more that need to hear about Jesus. And we need to be doing the work of the ministry. Matthew 4.23, it says, And Jesus, what? Went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. See, earthly kings would sit in their throne in their castles, and people would come visit them. Here's our heavenly king, and he's going, he's, he went, right? He went where the people were, and not just where the rich people were. He didn't plant churches in the wealthy areas so they can pick up large offerings. I know that sounds terrible. Who would do that? It happens. It happens. I've met with, with in pastors' conferences, I've met with pastors that out of their own mouth, and this is their calling and what they feel they need to do. But out of their own mouth have said, we run our church like a business. I was like, how could you do that? That's not why we're here. This is not a business. I've had a business. I know how to make money. I chose this because I love you. And I love God. And I love people. And the greatest reward is going to be when we get up there. And we can say, I affected somebody's life and that's why they're here. When I get up there and see Johnny, I'm going to say, hey, man. He's going to say, man, I'm here because you led me to Christ. <laughs> Jesus went. So the church, being the body of Christ, should embody these attributes. They are the signs of life. See, in Jesus' prayer for the saints, he passes the baton to the church that we also ha would have dusty feet. In John 17, which is, uh, in John 17, I call that the Lord's Prayer. I know we like to say Matthew 6 is, but uh, John 17 is where Jesus actually prays. He prays for himself, he prays for his disciples, then he prays for the world. He has three parts in that prayer. And in, seven, in uh, uh, John 17, 18, it says, As you sent me into the world, he's praying to his Father, I also have sent them, say that's me, into the world. See, Jesus was the example for us to go into the world. And he came, God came onto earth, became flesh, 
had all the same, have all the same things happen to him. I had a conversation one time, I remember years ago, when I used to fish a lot more than I do now. We were, I was under the bridge in Dunlon Bridge in, in South Daytona or Port Orange area there, and I was fishing. It was late at night, and there was a guy next to me. He had a black shirt on with a big Jesus face on it. And we started talking. I, I went, you know, I talked to pretty much everybody. I'm really an introvert, but uh, I, I was, <laughs> why are you guys laughing? I talked to everybody. So I'm talking to this guy, you know, and I'm talking about Jesus. And, and, we, and I said, isn't it amazing how God put on flesh? And he came down to earth. I said, he had the same thing. He sweat and smelled and had to use the bathroom. And the guy got all offended. I'm like, he was 100% man and 100% God. If he came down as God and was the example and then told us, go and do the same, that wouldn't be fair. Would it be fair? No, I'm not God. But he came down as a man with all the same weaknesses. Now, don't, don't let your mind wander here. But a prostitute knelt before him and cleaned his feet. He was a man. He was tempted in every way, yet never sinned. He was the example. He went even though he was king of kings and lord of lords, he never sat on a throne down here. He's sitting on a throne now to the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for us to do what? To have a good life and to be prosperous and to have good things and, and to be able to go on great vacations and to have nice cars. And I, You think, man, that, that, that message is worn out. Done. He's not up there interceding for us to have stuff. He's up there interceding that we would use the same power that he had, that we would do greater things than he even did. Amen. That's what it says, that we would do greater things than he even did. This is Jesus praying for us, Romans 10, 15. And how shall they preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet. I know some of you were like, when is he going to read that? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Let's change that word beautiful to dusty. How dusty are the feet? When you're moving around, when you're out there wearing sandals and there wasn't you know, asphalt and sidewalks and all that, their feet got dusty. The church's feet should be dusty. Number two, we should have worn out knees. Jesus, the Son of God, prayed. See, whenever Jesus went into a city, he did not look for a hotel or resort. He would say, I'm going up there to pray. He would find a place to pray. And this is my own outlook on this. I think he would go into the city to see what to pray, and then he would find a place where he can overlook the city, and he would sit up there and pray for the city before he went down into the city. How come we don't see signs and wonders? How come, you know, when I go and I pray for somebody, they don't get healed? And how come? Did you pray? Did you ask? Did you fast? Sometimes it's by fasting and prayer. Have we prayed over our city? We try to pray over our nation and, and our, our missions and everything on Sunday mornings, but this is something we should be doing all the time. I was asked a question the other day. Somebody was at, you know, people call and ask questions. They want to know if they want to come to church here. So some of the questions I don't answer. I just say, you just need to come. But uh, they asked some questions. The first one was, do I need earplugs? I said, some of you are laughing because you've been in churches like that. I said, no, we, we turn it up just loud enough so I can't hear myself sing because I don't sing very well. And, and, but not so loud that it hurts my ears. I said, okay, so we don't really need 
but it's, it's, it's a good volume, and, and our sound team does an amazing job in the way that this, yeah, it's just, I got to tell you that I was, I was talking to, I was talking to, I think it was Spencer, and I was telling him about Kyle and, and how he's, he came in here not knowing anything about sound and just learned how to, how to use that board. It's a digital board. I didn't know anything about it either. I learned a few little things here and there, but through the years of him working in there, now he's been training Spencer. But there's a sound that, you know, or, or the, the sound team is responsible for, and it's not always just the talent up here. And by the way, I want to let you know, our, our, is she here today? No. So she hurt, our pianist hurt her arm, and that's why she hasn't been here for a couple of weeks. So uh, that's why she hasn't been there. But, uh, uh, and, and while I say that, if you are talented and you do play an instrument, we would love to um, uh, have you be part of the body and uh, and. Let me, let me get there. Let me get there. I'm not there yet. We're at worn out knees. We're at worn out knees. I'm getting excited because I want to, you know, get to some of these parts. But Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Mark's with us today. He wrote this. So now, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Mark 6, 46. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. I love the mountains. I'll go up there and pray anytime. Luke 6, 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night, all night in prayer to God. <laughs> Jesus died on the cross praying to his father. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't, oh, this hurts. Oh, that. He was praying to the father for the people that placed him on that cross. Wow. Proof of life that Jesus resurrected is that he is still praying for us. He intercedes for us before the Father. See, if Jesus, the Son of God, prayed constantly, come on, he was our example. We have opportunity to pray uh, 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 as a congregation together here on Wednesdays at 6. We call it Hour of Power. We gather here in the 6 to 12 class and we pray together. And then afterwards from 7 to 8, we have a discipleship class. I encourage you to join us for that. It is a, uh, a lively group. We, we're really growing and learning in there, including myself. Number three, rolled up sleeves. That's why I always roll up my sleeves, so I buy these shirts that have these little designs in them, so it looks cool. Rolled up sleeves, John 13, one, one through, uh, yeah, John 13, 1 through 17. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. I know some of you roll your eyes at me sometimes, but uh, some things just have to be in context. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended... The devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. See, knowing this, he knew that knowing this himself was not enough. He had to convey this to the disciples. And how did he do that? He gave them this great sermon. He spoke these wonderful words, right? He didn't. He rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. 
After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. That's all he was wearing, by the way. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, of course, Peter, Lord, you're washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what am I doing to you? You do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, well, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Simon Peter said then, well, Lord, not only my feet, (laughs) but also my hands and my head. He tried so hard. Jesus Jesus said to him, I I identify with him. I've been pulled into the pastor's office and stuff when I was younger because I was just like Peter. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. Your feet are the only part that touches the world. For he knew, I added that, by the way, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, do you know that what I have done to you? 13, you call me teacher, rabbi, and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher or rabbi, have washed your feet, what an example, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This, this portion, the, the, the Last Supper to me is always amazing. Not because of the 11 good disciples, but because of Judas. When, when in one of the, the portions it says, which one would betray us? And he takes bread, dips it in the wine, and hands it to Judas. He's being an example saying, my body and my blood will be broken even for you that are going to betray me. He gave Judas an out. He gave him an opportunity to to ask for forgiveness for betraying him. He offered it even to the one that was going to betray him. And in this point, The devil had already put this in the heart of Judas, and Jesus still washed his feet. It doesn't say he washed 11 feet and told Judas, you're a betrayer, I'm not going to wash your feet. He didn't because he loved them. He was compassionate towards them. People with rolled up sleeves serve others, but serving others without love has no value. Love must be the motivator. Serving others is a sign of life for the church. A church that is alive is a church that serves. I'm going to say something here, and I know some of the things that I say about stuff, people look at me and they kind of shake their head because it's things they've never heard before, and this is not a a doctrine or anything, but we have grown up in the United States in churches where we serve one person, the one in this position. We want to be recognized as the one who serves him. We want to be recognized. And the pastor kind of 
puffs himself out and says, okay, yeah, these people are going to serve me. They're going to they're going to do this for me. They're going to do that for me. And they come to church and they want to be recognized as serving the pastor. This is not what this is about. The Lord, Savior, King of Kings, Son of the Almighty God, washed the feet of the disciples. They called him teacher. They called him rabbi, right? They called him. He was the one. And yet he washes their feet. This position here of pastor, uh, a shepherd, I learned this at Rhema. It was one of the first classes I took in the first semester. Uh, one of our teachers comes in, and he's got a, 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 one of those things that you use to cook with and barbecue with, an apron. Thank you. He had an apron on, and he had a towel over his arm, and he walks in, and he goes, how many of you want to be pastors? And, you know, all these young kids out of high school are like, yeah, I want to pastor a church, and I want to be the guy. And, and I'm looking around going, you guys are crazy. You have no idea you're putting a big, huge target on your back, you know? But I'm sitting there thinking, I just want to go back to doing children's ministry the way I was before. That's all I wanted to do. That's why I was there. So he's standing there, and he says, well, when you get the title, know that this is what that title means. All it does is make you a better servant to God's people. That's all it does. It doesn't make me authoritative over the church. Do I have some authority? Yes. I make some decisions, and I do things before the eyes of God. But I don't have authority over you because I have a title. I have a job to do to prepare you for the work of the ministry. That you would do greater things than, any, than, than Jesus even did or even I did. They say, uh, a good, uh, if you want to be successful, you have to have a successor. Train people, disciple people. That's why Jesus was discipling them to do greater things than even Jesus, the Son of God, had done. That would be success. But love has to be the motivator. Jesus loved them to the end. To the uttermost, in one verse it says. Rolled up sleeves will cause you to be humble. Servanthood without recognition. Jesus was in a room with his disciples alone. Nobody saw him wash their feet. Only they did. For it was only for them. Rolled up sleeves. This is a sign of life. Humble servanthood. Happiness is not in what you get, but in what you do. This whole portion of Scripture ends with, blessed are you if you what? Do these things. Number four, open hands. Another large portion of Scripture. Bear with me. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's our hoo-hoo. So if you're new today and you're wondering, what was that during uh, our giving? That's us being cheerful. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you, who, the one that gives cheerfully, the one who doesn't sparingly give, but gives out of generosity, right? The one with open hands, that's who he's talking about. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance, yes, for every good work. Not an abundance for you to go buy nice things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. I like nice things. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm not going to sacrifice the good works for the sake of me having nice things. Jesus sacrificed everything. I'm the son of man. I don't even have a place to lay my head. 
9. As it is written, he was dispersed abroad. He was given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Seems like we have to do something, doesn't it? While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. When you give, you're, you're saying thank you to the Lord. 12, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also abounding through many thanksgivings to God. There it is again. While through the proof of this ministry, the glor to, they glorify God to the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayers for you, who long for you uh, uh, because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. We thank you, Lord, for all. Um, thank you. You know what says thank you to God? When you give. Not just, we want to thank God when we receive, right? And I do. I thank God when I receive. But my thanks to God is in my giving. It's always in my giving. Giving bountifully is a sign of life. A seed is dead until it's planted into the ground. Then it comes to life. See, you can count how many seeds are in a fruit, but you can't count how many fruits are in a seed. Right, Rafael? The, the, the planters are here that the, the grow stuff in their backyard. You can, you can open an apple and count all the little seeds out of an apple, but you can't take a seed and go, there's 3,242 and a half apples here. You can't do that. You have to plant that seed in the ground and let the tree grow, and then it will continue to give its fruit. You can eat your seed, or you can plant it. I choose to plant it. Number five. That's it, Pastor Rick? You're just going to go right through the, the giving part? Or shouldn't you just hit it home there, shouldn't you? No. Number five, outstretched arms. This is compassionate people. And I wanted to end with this one because uh, this is very important to me because anything that you do without love is a waste of time. Luke 10, 25 through 38. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What it is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, not some or part or even 10%, but all. God, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Seems like you have to love yourself too, doesn't it? And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. You want revival in the church? 29, but he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Good question. Then Jesus answered and said to him, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, the, the good Samaritan, you guys know this story, and fell among thieves who stripped him of all his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by the chance, a certain priest, Lord forgive me, came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. You'd think he'd be the one. Likewise, a Levite, ooh, he's going to do something. When he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed on uh, to the other side. Well, he didn't do anything either. But a certain Samaritan, a half-breed, those who were looked down upon, that people were racist towards these Samaritans, as he journeyed, came where he was. 
And when he saw him, he said he had what? Compassion, not sympathy. I'll explain that in a minute. So he went to him and uh, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sat him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave, him to the in- gave it to the innkeeper, and said, hey, take care of this guy. Whatever you need to spend more than this, I'll come again and I'll repay you. Don't worry. Which of, uh, uh, so which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? The thieves. And he said, he who showed mercy or compassion on him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Say, that's me. Oh, that was weak. You're the laborers. Say, that's me. Yeah, now you're stuck. You got to do it. Send out laborers into his harvest. See, an outstretched arm shows love or compassion in action. It's an actual verb. Compassion versus sympathy. So compassion is a noun, just the word compassion. It's a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. But someone who's compassionate turns the noun into a verb. It becomes an action. Love is an action. It's a verb. Sympathy, listen, is harmony. The actual definition, harmony of or agreement in feelings as between persons or on the part of one person with respect to another. It's congenial. It's an awe feeling without a corresponding action. Jesus was always moved with compassion, not sympathy. He not only felt the people's pain and suffering, he was moved to do something about it. It seems that he spent his whole ministry life searching for the sick, for the hurt, for the suffering. You would think he's the son of God. He's going to go to the temple. He's going to, and he did at times, but it was usually to slap him around a little bit. But he would go to the temple to where the scribes and the Pharisees and the rabbis were, right? But most of his, his ministry was in Matthew 9. Uh, 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 we're going to read from 35, but before we get there, it says, Jesus healed a paralytic and forgives his sin. He ate with tax collectors and sinners. The woman with the issue of blood receives her healing. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. He heals two blind men, and yet he still says that we would do greater things. We're in all of the things that Jesus did, yet we're not willing to say, I could do greater things than that because that same Jesus and that same Holy Spirit power lives inside of me, and it is motivated by love. I don't go heal people or pray for people so that when they get healed, I can say, oh, look what I did. Maybe that's why they don't get healed, because we think we're the ones doing it. I know. shouldn't say those things. Verses 35 through 38 of Matthew 9. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was what? Moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 38. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers those with outstretched arms, into the harvest. Matthew 14 is similar, and Mark 6 is similar. John the Baptist is beheaded. Jesus goes away on a boat in a deserted place to be alone. He's mourning. The multitudes follow him. He is moved with compassion again. Says, I am, he doesn't say. See, compassion says, what do you need? 
Sympathy says, listen, I'm sorry, I just, I just lost a dear friend, a relative. It was a horrible tragedy. I loved him. I need, I need, I need to be left alone. I'm mourning right now. He doesn't do that. He heals their sick. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. And all who touched his garment were healed. The opportunity to be compassionate, to be compassionate have come our way. The 33 years of new life, having signs of life, there's always an opportunity to have more. I pray that this message will be like a defibrillator. Boom! I think the church has been showing signs of life. They're laying there, right? And before you got down to check their pulse, or there was movement. Oh, it's still alive. But we're laying there, and we're not really moving. The body's not doing the work of the ministry. We're not going out. And listen, I have a job. Perfect. You have people at that place of work that I will never meet. You have influence in other people's lives that I don't even know their names. You have opportunities that many of us don't have because of where you go every day. Quit looking at your job as a paycheck on Friday and look at it as a mission field that God is sending you to. It's what it is. I had my own business in Miami for a few years and worked for Xerox, and I had 12 employees. And, uh, uh, you know, worked really hard in, in, in uh, the business that I took over, because I didn't, I didn't create the business, but I took over, was about to be closed down, and it wasn't doing very well. Xerox was about to uh, um, uh, not have that contract with them anymore, and I came in, and I said, give me eight months, and in eight months, we, we, were, we actually won the Malcolm Baldwin Award. If you're in corporate world, you know that that's for 100% customer satisfaction. It's a very big award. And... Um, we had that in our office for, for having 100% customer satisfaction in Miami, of all places. You know how hard it is to satisfy Cubans? But anyway, uh, I'm Cuban. My, my mom, hey, hey, hey. And I was praying for the business one morning, and I'm praying for, for it to prosper, and I'm praying for this to happen and that to happen. And, and the, the Holy Spirit, at, at this time in my life, and there are moments in life where you really hear the Spirit, man. There's just, I always listen for God and always get a check in my spirit. And, and a, you know, but I was actually like, there was moments, there's been moments where I just, I could hear God speaking to me. And he said in such a gentle voice, he goes, you are not a business owner to fix copiers, but to employ people. Like, What? said, those people help me do my job, help me fix copiers so we can make money. No, you're not doing this to make money. You're doing this to employ people. And you know what I did? I turned my focus to the people that I employed. I began getting involved in their family life. I did picnics from the business that we would pay for the food and have them at a, at a park so I could meet the wives and the kids and, and the family members of these, of these people that worked for me. I got involved in their lives. Some came to the Lord and gave their lives to the Lord. Others came to me for prayer. I'm the boss man. They didn't like me very much, but they still knew that I knew God. <laughs> right? Who likes the boss? <laughs> they, yeah, I like my boss too. I love my boss. And my boss loves me. <laughs> but... I learned that it was about people. Even though we did fix copiers and we were concerned about the customer service that we were uh, providing and all that, I learned how to invest in the people, and all of a sudden the business picked up. Now, that was just gravy because 
the important thing is that those people, I'm still friends with some of those guys till today. We keep in touch because I affected their lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all going to leave here today. We're all going to go somewhere, right? You have an opportunity everywhere you go. You're going to go into a restaurant. You're going to go uh, wherever it is that you go. I had a guy come to my door. I had a, a, this is a while back, and I was up late at night. Something was happening, and, you know, pastors don't have an 8 to 5. Sometimes you get a call at 3 in the morning, and you have to pray with somebody, and it's tragic, and, you know, you have to do what you have to do. So I had a rough night. So the next day I was trying to take a nap, and this solicitor came to the door. And he would not give up, man. He kept bounding on the door and pressing the button. So by the time I got to the door, I was pretty frustrated. And I opened the door, and my first words out of my mouth was, did you not read the sign at the entrance of our neighborhood? No solicitors. And right behind me on the door, my wife hung this thing that says, love always wins. (laughs) And you know what that guy did? He didn't solicit. He reminded me of the sign. (laughs) That's good. Love always wins. And I said, you're right, man. I just had a a, a rough night. And, you know, and I said, love always wins. And know that that's there because we want people who walk up to our home to know that God loves them. And, And he happened to be saved and all that. But I was not a very good testimony coming to the door. But then I realized here's an opportunity to talk to somebody just because something was hanging on our door. And I didn't know my wife hung that there. I wish I would have known. (laughs) We have opportunity to be compassionate to this world. They will know that we are disciples of Jesus if we love one another. Let's go out there and show love. I'm going to say one more thing, and please, I'm not being critical or trying to be better than anybody else. I thank God that God has called us to this part of the body and to this area and to this. But sometimes it it bothers me to see people with signs on the side of the road that tell them they're going to, telling people they're going to hell. I think the world knows that. I don't think we need to remind them of that. I think we need to give them an out. That Jesus loved them just like they, they are. I've had conversations with some of those people. I've pulled over and parked and came over. I said, oh, this is awesome that you're doing this, you know, and I'm being sincere. How many people have actually given their lives to the Lord? Oh, we just plant a seed. Nobody's really, you know. And I'm like, you're yelling at them, and you're telling them they're going to hell. And I said, the gospel is good news. Who doesn't? In the world we live in, who doesn't want to hear good news? It, it's almost an oxymoron. Good news. Like, Jumbo shrimp, right? (laughs) It's almost like, what? Good news. News is never good. Never. We should be the ones bringing good news to the world. We want revival in the church. I'm going to talk about this next week. We want revival in the church. Revival doesn't happen here. It, It manifests itself here, but revival happens out there. Because revival is when the dead come to life. And we have moves of God where the Spirit moves, and that's to our benefit here in the church. But he empowers us for what? For our own good? No, to go out there. To go out there. I challenge you. 
If you look around the room and see all the empty chairs, if every one of you brought one person, we would be standing room only next week. We would be packed out. And not so that we can fill a chair or pick up a big offering. I could care less about that stuff. God provides here with or without you. Sorry, I don't want to you know, take the credit from you, but you get to give because it's your blessing to give. It's good for you to give. Now, does the church benefit? Yeah, we get to keep the lights on and put you in a cushy chair and the AC, you guys, nice and cool in here today. We're still running the old ACs, but we're doing our best. To, I think we're, we're a week or two away, and, and we should be cranking those new ones. Then I'm going to turn it down to 59 degrees. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just kidding. They'll have to work less to do what this one's trying to do, and it's on its last leg. So, But let's stand to our feet this morning. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. We praise you. We just thank you that you've entrusted us with your world that you created and with your people that are out there lost. So our prayer this morning, as we read twice today, that you would, we would pray for laborers into the harvest, Lord. I'm standing before the laborers. that they would do the work of the ministry without a title, without any of that, Lord. That they would go out and, and, and take every opportunity that comes their way to show your love and compassion towards others. I thank you, Lord, that that's what says that love covers a multitude of sin. It is the goodness and love of God that leads people to repentance. But your word says, help us to be loving and good to those that are lost. Help us to be patient. Help us to love our neighbor like we love ourselves, Lord. Help us. I pray, Lord, that this word would be something that we do and not just hear. So, Lord, I bless them now and empower them, as Jesus did with his disciples, that the Holy Spirit would empower them to go into all the surrounding cities and areas here, Lord, they all live in different places and work in different places. We send them now, Lord, into our community, Lord, to win the lost. I know, Lord, that revival is coming in this end-time harvest because many are going to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because of those who have heard this message today. With your permission, Lord, I release them. Thanks for listening to the New Life Bible Church podcast. If you're ever in the Central Florida area, consider this a standing invitation for you to join us. We would love to meet you. Services are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If this message blessed you, imagine what it would be like in person. Keep up with everything going on at New Life on our website, orangecitychurch.com. New Life Bible Church, you will never be the same.